Thank you, Mike, for that prayer this morning. Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to continue on in our study of the Gospel of John this morning. Um, and guys, if you would, I'm going to have you just turn off that monitor back there. Thank you. I appreciate that. I want to continue on in the Gospel of John, as I mentioned. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend. And this is a time, a weekend, where we set aside to remember those who have given their lives in defense of our country. I read an interesting article uh, earlier this year written by a veteran who said, Memorial Weekend, it's okay to remember or to think about or honor active duty military men and women or those veterans who are still alive. Nothing wrong with that, but they said, or the author said, that's not what this weekend is really about. This weekend is a time when we especially remember those who have fallen, those in every war in defense of our country who have given their lives for us and for the freedoms and liberties that we take for granted every day. And those freedoms and liberties that we enjoy as individuals and as a church. It is an honor beyond description that we get to come and worship freely and that we can preach and teach the word of God and not worry that someone's going to try to stop us or that someone's going to come in and arrest us. And so, in honor of that, we exercise that one of those great liberties this morning in being able to freely, openly preach and teach the Word of God. We're looking this morning at John chapter 16 and verses 16 through 24. Last week we looked at part two of the Helper, the ministry of the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And we saw last week that the Holy Spirit, one of his responsibilities, one of his great responsibilities is to convict unbelievers of sin and righteousness and judgment. And I said to you last week that evangelism is impossible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Your most clever, well-thought-out arguments will never convince anyone to come to Christ. It is the work of the Holy Spirit using the gospel, the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ that convicts and converts men and women to the Savior. And we learned last week that it is the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand and obey the Word of God, that apart from the Holy Spirit, it is impossible for any human being to understand and obey the Word of God. Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will declare to you all Excuse me, he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And so, as we move into this next section, Jesus continues to talk about the important ministry of the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And it is so, I know I've said this every single week, but it's just so crucial. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. 
This is the night before his crucifixion. You have to have that mood, that scene in your mind and heart, or you will never fully understand John chapter 16. It's true of John chapter 13 through 16, but especially in what he's saying to them at this particular point. Let me read for you what Jesus says in verses 16 through 24 of John 16. He says to the disciples, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Well, our first point this morning is kind of an interesting point and something I really want you to think with me, and that is the return of Christ. Jesus promises his disciples that he is going to come again, but he's not referring to the rapture or his visible return at the end of the tribulation. So Jesus says to his disciples, I'm coming again. But he's not talking about the rapture of the church. And he's not talking about the visible, physical return of Christ riding the white horse, which Pastor Mike read that scripture this morning. I thought that was great. That fits right in. But he's not talking about that physical, visible return of Christ. He's talking about a different return and one that we rarely think of as the return of Christ. In verse 16, Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Now the disciples find this extremely confusing. And so in verses 17 and 18, they're whispering to each other. So this is the scene, they're in the upper room, they're celebrating the Passover supper, which will become the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. And so they're confused. And so they're whispering to each other in verses 17 and 18. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. 
and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. So in verse 19, Jesus, the omniscient Jesus, who not only can see they're talking to themselves, but knows what they're talking about. Verse 19, Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. So, what is Jesus talking about here? I mean, that's verses 16 through 19, basically asking that same question, what does Jesus mean by this? And it's really very important. Jesus is about to die and rise again and ascend to the right hand of the Father. Then at Pentecost, he is going to pour out the Holy Spirit on every believer in Jesus Christ. And by means of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will live in every child of God. We've gone over this these last few weeks, but I want to go over it again because it's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is going to come and live in every one of his disciples and be with them forever. So Jesus, in a sense, in a way that we don't often think about it, is saying, I'm coming again. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And I'm going to send the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And he's going to come and indwell you. And I am going to come and live in you by means of the Holy Spirit. And so he says to them, I'm coming again a little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me because I will live in you. Some think in this passage that Jesus is referring to his resurrection that they will see him visibly when he rises from the dead and that is true but that doesn't fit with the whole context of john chapter 16 i think it's part of it but jesus isn't saying i'm going to rise again and you will see me no he's saying i'm going to come back and live in you and by means of the holy spirit in essence with eyes of faith you will see me I will be with you. Think with me this morning, folks. If Jesus rose from the dead and went to heaven and left us alone, it would do us no good. Have you ever thought about that? If he just rose from the dead and went back to heaven, it would show he overcame sin and death, but it would mean nothing to us. No, he also had to send the Holy Spirit to apply his redemptive work to our lives and so that he could come and live within us and be with, this, be with us forever. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, always the hope of glory. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, and lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And one writer said this, and I think he's exactly right. The crucifixion, the resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit must never be separated. 
They are all part of the work of Christ. That's how we're saved, because the Holy Spirit has applied that work to our lives. And Jesus lives within us. The resurrected and living Christ lives in you and lives in me. Jesus is about to change everything. That's how momentous this particular section of Scripture is, John 13 through 17. Jesus is about to change everything. In verse 20, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. He said, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. We're sitting in the upper room the next day. A little while is the next day. They're going to weep. They're going to cry. They're going to be filled with sorrow. Because Jesus is going to be mocked. And he's going to be beaten. And he's going to be crucified. And the world is going to rejoice. The world here primarily refers to the Jewish religious leaders and to the Roman Empire, the Ro the Roman ruling authorities. They're going to kill Jesus. And they're going to rejoice. Finally got rid of this guy who was causing so much trouble. Finally going to get rid of this guy who attracted so many followers. Jesus said, you will be sorrowful, but, but, your sorrow will turn into joy. But your sorrow is going to turn into joy because I'm going to rise again and I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and I'm going to live in you by means of the Holy Spirit and you will rejoice. And it's not just you'll get on the other side of the crucifixion. You will now see that the crucifixion after when I come to you, you will see that the crucifixion was the most important and greatest event in the history of the universe. You will see it in a whole different light and you will be filled with joy that I died for you. You will be filled with joy that I was crucified, that I was the Lamb of God who gave his life for the sins of the world. And in verse 21, Jesus uses an illustration that has been understood by every generation in the history of mankind. Jesus says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, we men have never experienced this. You mothers have experienced this. But we all know about it. We do. Women go through nine months of pregnancy, and sometimes the pregnancy itself can be a time of anguish, especially toward the end. But the delivery itself can be hard, physically, emotionally hard. And if there, if you asked a woman at that moment, she said, I'll never have another baby again. But then comes the baby that beautiful little girl, that beautiful little boy, 
and they forget. It is one of the amazing miracles of God. It's not that they don't remember anything about it, but the joy of having that baby is amazing. One of our daughters-in-law just delivered a few weeks ago, and her end of her pregnancy was hard. Her labor was hard. But, oh, you should have seen her face holding that baby. Oh, man. It is, it's just incredible to watch. And that's why women keep having babies. They do. Because of the joy. Not because of the anguish, but because of the joy of that little girl or that little boy. And Jesus said, so it will be with you. Verse 22, so also you have sorrow. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Can you imagine what that must have done to their hearts? I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Do you know why? Because he's always going to be with them. He's always going to be with them. And no one, what a thought, and no one, that's a promise to you and to me. No one will take your joy from you that you have in Christ. Well, that leads to our second point this morning, prayer and the Holy Spirit. Jesus uses this moment to teach his disciples that the coming of the Holy Spirit will take prayer to a whole new level. So much is changing. So much is changing right now. Jesus is about to die. He's going to be crucified, but he's going to rise again. He's going to ascend to the Father. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to live in us by means of the Holy Spirit. And, and, prayer is going to change. Prayer was always important up to this point, but there's going to be a whole new level of intimacy in prayer that will be available to those who know Jesus as their Savior. In verse 23, Jesus says, in that day, take note of that in your minds, mark it down if you want in your Bibles, in that day, what day? It's what's called the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, the age of the Holy Spirit, which we are living in right now. In that day, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and I come to live in you by means of the Holy Spirit, in that day, you will ask nothing of me, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You're not going to ask me because I am going to give you such an intimate, special relationship with the Father. I have a special, intimate relationship with the Father and though yours is not perfect like that, you are going to experience a whole new level of fellowship and intimacy with God the Father. In that day you will ask nothing of me because you will be praying to the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Prayer's going to change. You're now going to Pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That little adage, that little saying has been around in church history since the beginning of the church. 
We pray to the Father in the name of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we pray to God, and there is a sense when we pray, we are praying to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sometimes I find myself praying to Jesus, help me, Jesus, Lord Jesus, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But from a Trinitarian standpoint, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, prayer in essence is prayer to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Our prayers are to be in accordance with everything that Jesus is and does in accordance with his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. We want what he wants. We want to glorify Jesus in our prayers, in everything we ask in prayer. His glory is our ultimate quest, our ultimate goal. And when we pray like that, the Father longs to answer our prayers. In verse 24, Jesus says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Do you know why they had asked nothing in his name up to this point? Because he hadn't died yet. Because he hadn't risen yet. Because he hasn't, hadn't ascended to the Father yet. We couldn't ask in, they couldn't ask in his name because he hadn't accomplished our salvation yet. Until now... You have asked nothing in my name. But then, but then, in that day, ask and you will receive. Reminds us so much of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Ask. Ask me and you will receive and you will find great joy in your intimate fellowship with God and when you see that God longs to answer your prayers. Now, I want to try to put this together with what we've been learning in chapters 13 through 16. Jesus has taught about prayer and there are some, there are some important verses on prayer in this section of scripture and I want to put them together. Back in chapter 14, John 14 verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So he says, if you ask in my name, this I will do, because I want the Father to be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Those are some bold words, a bold promise. And then in John chapter 15 and verse 7, Jesus says, if you abide in me, excuse me, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Same thing, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I just want you to think about that. Chapter 14, Jesus says, 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Chapter 15, verse 7. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. In our passage today, verse 23. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Verse 24, ask and you will receive. I know one thing. God delights in answering our prayers. And there is something so important here for our prayer lives. And that is as much as we know how. And this is something you're going to wrestle with, grapple with for the rest of your Christian life here on earth. Bring your prayers in line with the word of God. Always ask yourself, am I praying in accordance with the word of God? Am I praying for the ultimate glory of Jesus? And do I want what God wants? Is that how I'm praying? Is that what my prayers are like? <clears throat> and again, as we grow and move through our Christian lives, we're going to be at different levels of this, different degrees of this. And this could be a whole sermon in and of itself. And I mentioned this back when I was preaching through John 14. I don't want to water this down. Well, Jesus doesn't really mean he's going to give you whatever you ask. Well, that's what he says. He says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Ask, and you will receive. So how come some of my prayers don't get answered? A couple of reasons. One is, you may not be asking according to the, in accordance with the word of God, according to the will of God. You may be asking selfishly. We see that in James chapter 1. And it may be that you just simply aren't at a level where you're seeing what God wants. For example, when someone is sick, like with cancer, I pray for their healing. I do. I pray that God would be glorified in their healing. But I know as I pray, it may be that God will receive his greatest glory by taking them home to be with himself. He may receive his greatest glory in that person being a powerful witness during the time of their sickness. I may be praying that I get a certain job that I've applied for. But God may know that that job isn't the one he has for me. And there are unforeseen circumstances in that job that he's protecting me from. So I surrender that to him. I pray that he will be glorified whether I get the job or don't get the job, and that I will be a good Christian witness whether I get the job or don't get the job. Let's say that there's a house that I really want, and I'm praying about that house. It just seems to be a great deal and perfect for my family, but I think what's most important to pray is that I am like Christ in all of my dealings with that house, whether it be with a realtor, or the people who own the home, or the people who do the closing, that through that pro whole process, oh God, help me to be the light of Christ. Help me to be a good witness for Christ. You see, in everything that we ask for, I think God honors that we ask him, that we come to him. But let us truly seek his glory. 
let us truly submit it to his will and what he knows in best is best. Now that's a far from adequate answer to all of this. So let me simply say this again. I do know this. Based on the authority of Scripture, our God delights in answering your prayers. So pray and pray and pray. He delights in it. We will wrestle with this whole concept of God answering our prayers, but he is so pleased and delights so much when you come to him. So wrestle with this in a good way, in a joyful way. Wrestle with what it means to come to God and to truly want the glory of Jesus in everything we ask, in every part of our lives. Well, let me try to bring this all together this morning. I don't know about you, but as I've been preaching through these chapters, it is so interesting and instructive that Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, places a crucial emphasis on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I just find that fascinating. He's about to be crucified. His disciples are about to face the most difficult time of their lives. And his big emphasis as he brings this upper room discourse, this farewell discourse to a close, as he does this, he places a great emphasis on the Holy Spirit. As I said to you last week, evangelism is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. Understanding and obeying the Bible is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I say to you this morning, effective, powerful, God-honoring prayer is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Oh, let us trust the Holy Spirit and rely on the Holy Spirit as we pray our prayers. In Romans chapter 8, it even says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with words beyond our understanding. When we groan, even when we groan in prayer because we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit takes those words and interprets them to the Father. He plays an absolutely vital role in our prayer lives. And let us rejoice in this. After Pentecost, those 11 men in the upper room, after Pentecost, Jesus' disciples will never be alone again. He's going to be with them forever. And you know what? You. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, you are never alone. You are never alone. He is always with you because he has come to you by means of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to his disciples, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one, no one will take your joy from you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the return of Christ to live in the life of every true believer by means of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, you are always with us. We are never alone. And when we pray, if we pray in accordance with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for his glory and honor, 
you delight. Oh, thank you that you delight to answer our prayers. We are so grateful for prayer. In Jesus' name.